Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you again, Pastor Murray. And greetings again, brethren. Uh, So the sermon today is the Bible study, um, continuing with Acts 7. So I guess I could say the sermon today is brought to you by Deacon Stephen, uh, and that is actually one of the longest sermons in the New Testament, if not the longest, and it's brought to us by a deacon. So clearly the church did not limit brethren based on what position they had. It's just what gifts do they they have and and allow them to do that. And Stephen certainly in Acts 7 uh, is performing uh, an evangelical gift. But before we go there, brethren, I'd like to just set it up with a bit of context. And let's go to Luke 21 first. Luke 21. Luke 21, where we can perhaps look at Acts 7 from our perspective, with a modern modern eye, not just historically. Luke 21 is prophetic. Christ is telling us about the days that we are really entering into now. Luke 21, verse 22. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. So this is the time when all the prophecies that have been written will be fulfilled. At this time of the end, it says this in verse 23. Notice this. But woe unto them that are with child speaking about the Jews who will be in Jerusalem at this time, woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. In other words, whatever is going to happen, these people who are going to be engaged in this evil are so evil that they will not have any pity whatsoever. I think there's just a natural way, if you see a woman who's pregnant or a woman with a nursing child, just being a human being, your heart goes out to them. Well, these human beings are going to be so filled with the devil. They're going to be so possessed and so bloodthirsty that they will, they will not see a human being in front of them. They'll just see blood, human sacrifice. Let's go. So if you're in Jerusalem at this time and you're a pregnant woman or a breastfeeding woman, I'm sorry for you. Because these demons will have no mercy. For there shall be great distress, not, not a bit of distress, there's going to be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. So there's somebody filled with hatred toward this people in Jerusalem. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. So whoever it is that's filled with hatred works with a sword. And shall be led away captive. So in other words, they're going to kill the men and they're going to take the women as sex slaves and then sell them into all these different nations. They shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, this is so bad that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Jerusalem, this is is God's pearl. This, this is, this is this, the center of the earth. This is the center of the universe. This is where everything will happen. Even at this time, this is the time of vengeance. This is the time of wrath. This is the time of, of Satan's wrath. So even Jerusalem will be trodden down by the nations. Those who don't know God. They, they can pretend they know God. They can talk religious talk, even wear long robes and big beards. But they don't know God. They're of the Gentiles. They're not of Israel. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So so this um, evil of the Nimrod nations has to come to the full. It has to come to the full so that God can judge it and man will be without excuse. But when it does, I'm sorry for you if you're in Jerusalem. But from Jerusalem, it's going to spread all over the world. And I'm sorry for you if you're a person of God. I, should, you know, I speak physically. Spiritually, it's a time to rejoice. It's a time for us to rejoice. Now, that's the context of our time that we're heading into. Look at verse 14 of the same chapter. 
verse 14, Jesus Christ says, settle it, therefore, in your hearts. So decide up front. Decide from now. Be resolved. Be it resolved that I'm not going to meditate beforehand, and you're not going to meditate beforehand, what we shall answer. Why? Because I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. So this is the time we're heading into. It is a terrible time. But it's a time where all the prophecies have to be fulfilled so that Christ can then return and set up his kingdom, which we're about to uh, picture and celebrate with the Feast of Tabernacles. So in this time, we have to be resolved that we do not have to try to figure out, how, how will I answer these people? God will give us the answer. But brethren, this will happen because this is not a hobby. We're not involved in a hobby. You know, a couple of hours on the Saturday, hey, let me just check this out for a little while, read, turn the scriptural pages, and that, that was fun. Now I'll go back to my real life. No, this is something we are immersed in. This is something we live every day. And because of that, God can fill us with his Holy Spirit. Because of that, regardless of what they come to us with, God will give us the wisdom to answer. And we're going to see an example of this in Acts 7. Uh, In fact, we'll go to Acts 6 to see, I should say, we'll see an example of this with Stephen. We'll begin in Acts 6. where we see an example of God's people being persecuted and God giving them the wisdom to answer. Acts 6 and verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, it wasn't a hobby for Stephen. He was immersed in this. And he was full of faith. He really understood and believed. And the Holy Spirit gave him power. And because of that, remember, this is a deacon. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. So so no nonsense to say, well, you're a deacon. You can only, you know, move the chairs. No, if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you do what the Holy Spirit empowers you to do. Verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So God told us, we're going to have enemies who are going to dispute with us. So so Stephen is in debate now with these people. And notice this, what exactly what Christ said. He said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. We read that in Luke 21, 15. Notice the fulfill, see the, uh, an example of this now in verse 10. They came all disputing with him, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So he didn't have to kind of figure out ahead of time, okay, I better prepare my notes and, and say this. No, he was full of faith. This wasn't a hobby. He was fully immersed. And they're all coming, all these different people coming at him, disputing with him. And they're unable to resist his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So what did they do? Then they suborned men, gathered men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So what do they do? So we have to understand how human beings operate. First, they're going to come and dispute, think they know better than the word of God. We're going to give them the word of God. And they're not going to be able to resist the wisdom. It's not, it's not our wisdom. It's the wisdom of the word of God. We're going to give them the word of God. Their disputing and debating is going to collapse. So what do they do? Do they try to come back with stronger arguments? No, they come with false accusations. So if we cannot beat them in debate, we're going to throw false accusations at them. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders, and the scribes, and came upon him. So this is like the Human Rights Commission getting involved now. Okay, so they stir up the people, and they came upon him, and caught him, and brought him to the council, and set up false witnesses. So they gather false witnesses now, 
which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. In other words, we need to silence him. When we're in debate with him, he embarrasses us. We don't have any arguments against him, so we have to muzzle him. So we're going to set up false witnesses, and we're going to muzzle him. So he's speaking blasphemy, verse 14, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Again, it wasn't a hobby. He was, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So he, they're looking at him. They see that he is divine. He has divine influence. Now we come to Acts 7. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? Hold your place here and come to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. We'll come back to Acts 7. The question, are these things so, is not unlike the question King Nebuchadnezzar asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Are these things so? Is what I'm hearing true? I'll give you a chance. All you have to say is, no, it's not true. I'll bow down and worship the idol. And then all is good. So he's giving them a chance. Here, you know, are these things so? You have a chance to comply. 1 Peter 3.14 says this. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you, blessed. So if we know that whatever this suffering that they're threatening, you know, are, Gord, are these things so? And you know that if you answer yes, there's intense suffering coming upon you. If you say, no, it's not true, I, I, you know, I denounce, I deny Jesus Christ, oh, then you can go. If you know that by saying yes, you're going to suffer, but you're going to suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. You're happy. So we need to understand this. If we're suffering for righteousness, we're preaching the truth, and then we're going to suffer, it's okay. We're blessed. And notice this focus on fear. The passage is focused on fear. We're human beings. We want to live. We want to be happy. We want to be safe. It's natural for us to be afraid. And so the focus is on fear. And do not be afraid of their terror. Don't be terrorized by terrorists. You as Christians must not be afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. So don't be afraid of their terror. Instead, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. You have been chosen to suffer for righteousness' sake. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Don't be afraid. It's like when Jesus Christ said, don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body. So don't be afraid. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason. So Christ said, don't meditate ahead of time. But the scripture says here to always be ready to give an answer. So we have to reconcile these two. One says, don't prepare your answer ahead of time. The other says, always be ready to answer. And I think basically what we're saying is, like Stephen, this is not a hobby. This is our life. We're in this full time all the time. And because of that, the Holy Spirit can work in us and it can retrieve the answer that's needed in the moment. And that's what we see here, to be ready. But notice this, to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So why, why would this hope be in you? Why are they asking you about this? Because of verse 14. They are terrorizing you. There's the burning, fiery furnace. Turn it up and heat it up seven more times. Jan, is it true what I've heard? Uh, turn up the furnace ten more times. Jan, is it true what I've heard? And Jan is calm. 
Jan is sanctifying the Lord in his heart. I'm confused. I'm going to ask, like, what's, what's going on? Aren't, aren't you afraid? So it's our response to terror that causes people to ask, what is the hope that's in you? If I turn up the furnace seven times and I say, Jan, is it true? And Jan's knees are shaking and he's, and he's showing weakness then nobody's going to be inspired to ask him about the hope that's in him because it's obviously not there. So it's how we respond to terror that causes people around us, even our terrorists, to inquire, what's this hope that you have? But notice how we must answer. The focus is on fear. We must answer with meekness and fear. Don't be afraid of their terror but be afraid of God. So we're human beings, we have to be afraid. We see past the terrorist. We see past the persecution. We see God. And that's who we're afraid of. And we sanctify him in our hearts so that we can face their terror with a calmness and we can respond with meekness. And I think this is, this is the, um, the challenge for us. Again, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. That somebody can come against us and we can respond politely. We can respond with meekness. We're not easily provoked. And they can see our hope. Having a good conscience, so we're not doing anything that our conscience is then plaguing us. Oh, I wish I didn't say that. And that, you know, for me, I'll tell you personally, uh, when people come with nonsense, I get easily provoked. So I've got to work on that. And we'll see how Stephen is able to answer and not be easily provoked. We must be like this. Ready to, it's not just that we have the knowledge to answer. We have the knowledge to answer combined with the character of Christ. Not, be, not easily provoked. So that we have a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conscience, con- conduct in Christ. So those who were accusing Stephen, they're going to be ashamed. Stephen was blameless. Because he's without fault, they will be without excuse. And that's how we have to conduct our lives. Without fault, so that the enemy is without excuse when judged by God. Let's go back. Actually, let's go to quickly Acts 17. Because we're going to see how Stephen responds. But let's not think that Stephen's response is the only response. Stephen is going to give a very strong sermon on the history of Judah. But that doesn't mean that that's how we respond to everybody. If you look at Acts 17, we'll see how Paul addressed his audience. Verse 22, then Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill And said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I pass, so he perceived, he's studying his audience, and he sees that they're superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. So Paul didn't stand up in front of this Greek audience and say, let me tell you about Abraham and the people of Judah and the history of Judah. It wouldn't mean anything to them. What he told them about was their unknown God. You're already worshiping this unknown God. Let me tell you about him. And look at verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being... Notice who he quotes. As certain also of your own poets have said. He doesn't say to them, let's go to Leviticus chapter 13. And and let me wade through the weightier matters of the law for you. It wouldn't mean anything to them. He reaches them on their terms. And so he's quoting their poets. He knows their poets. He's able to speak to them about where they're coming from. So he says, of your own, uh, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. 
So Paul, in speaking to the Greeks, is quoting poets and philosophers. Stephen is speaking to Judah, and he's going to quote the history of Judah to the Jews. So let's go back to Acts 7. So, so the scripture says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for this hope, this, this, this phenomenal hope that you have with meekness and fear. So if you see the enemy coming, be ready to give an answer. So if the enemy is a Greek poet, don't answer with Jewish scripture. If the, if the enemy is Jewish, be up on your history of Judah. And we see that here now in Acts 7. So we need to know our audience and be able to speak to them in terms they will understand. Acts 7 and verse 2. Well, we'll go back to verse 1. And so then said the high priest, are these things so? In other words, if they are, if you're guilty of blasphemy, you're going to suffer. Are these things so? Verse 2. And he said, so it's a simple yes or no answer. Are these things so? We get now the longest sermon. And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. This is somebody who's ready to give an answer. There is wisdom. He's just finished debating all of these opponents, and they cannot withstand his wisdom. Now he's brought before the high priest, and the high priest says, are these things so? And here's his opening. Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Okay, I, I'm liking this. You're, you're, you're validating our importance. Our father is Abraham, and the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. This is good. I'm liking this. It appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Karan, and said unto him, Get you out of your country and from your kindred, and come into the land which I will show you. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Karan, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. This is a powerful setup. This is wisdom. So he's speaking to them and he's giving them the history. And you're in the land now. And here's the history of why you're in the land, in where you now dwell. So the focus is on you and your dwelling in the land. And you have a long, you have a lineage that got you here. And he gave him no inheritance in it, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spoke on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that, they shall come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. Now we begin to see the wisdom of Stephen. And the patriarchs. So, so yeah, we're all on the same page. Abraham's our father. There was a promise made to him. He didn't have a child. Then Isaac came. Then came Jacob. Then Jacob had the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy. So even though they were God's people, they moved with envy. They sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. So God's people can be moved with envy. And, that, and, and God's people, just because you're God's people doesn't mean God is with you. So he's, he's answering the question, and they're, they're following the history. But what he's, telling him, what he's telling them is, you now dwell in this land. You're the children of these patriarchs, and they were evil. So just because you're God's people doesn't mean God is with you. God was with Joseph, not with the patriarchs. And delivered him out of all his afflictions 
and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So even though the patriarchs moved within to tried to destroy him, God gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh and, and put him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers, who had afflicted Joseph, whom God was not with, they found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, 75 souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sichem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sichem. But when the time of the promise drew near, when God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. So they cast out their children to die. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him. So this is Moses that was clearly set aside, being used by God. The children were being thrown out to die, but Moses was, was spared. And now he comes to Israel after growing up in, in the palace. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed. And he smote the Egyptian. For he supposed, this is Moses. Moses, oh, we look to Moses. We believe in Moses. We love Moses. We're followers of Moses. Well, Moses supposed that his brethren would have understood how that God, by his hand, would deliver them. But they understood not. So we see Joseph being used by God and the patriarchs attacking Joseph. Now we see Moses being used by God and the patriarchs don't understand. And the next day, their ancestors, the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove. And would have set them at one again. So he's all about the nation and wants to unite them, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. Why do you do wrong to one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong of the people of Israel, God's people, he that did his neighbor wrong pushed Moses away. This is Moses. These are the people of Israel. This is our history. So the one that Moses is trying to unite them, the one that did his neighbor wrong pushed Moses away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? We know that God was with Moses. And yet the people in the moment just thought he's just this guy. Who do you think you are? And pushed him away. Will you kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? In other words, I know who you are. And I could, I could have you arrested. So he's basically threatening Moses. I'm not afraid of you. I just have to tell the Egyptians, you're the guy that killed the Egyptian yesterday. Will you kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Moses understood. Then fled Moses at this saying. He understood exactly what this guy was telling him. Then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired... There appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. So clearly in view here is Moses' special relationship with God. And here an angel is appearing to him some 40 years later. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
the God of Jacob. So God appeared to Moses, not to the guy who pushed Moses away, who thought that he knew everything. Then Moses trembled and dared not behold. Then said the Lord to him, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I'm come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you into Egypt. So the people are suffering terribly. Egyptians are, are cruel taskmasters. God has raised up Moses now to relieve the people of this suffering. So now he's got to go back into Israel to relieve them of the suffering. Verse 35. This Moses, this Moses who had this special relationship with God, and these are the people of God, and, and this is the man who has a special relationship with God, this Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. So the very Moses that they rejected is the very Moses that God was with and was sending to them to deliver them. So they're, just, they're, they're following along. They're listening to this. It's all making sense. He brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the lands of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So, so 40 years, he goes, in, he goes into Midian. 40 years later, he comes back into Israel. Now he's taken them out of Egypt, or goes back into Egypt, takes them out of Egypt, and now 40 years, they're in the wilderness. This is that Moses, verse 37, which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the... This is amazing. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him you shall hear. So this Moses that God sent to deliver them, they rejected. Even though now it's Moses, Moses, we love Moses. This same Moses that our fathers rejected, he prophesied that a prophet would be raised up by God and we should listen to him. We're the children of our fathers. Our fathers rejected Moses. Moses said there's going to be another prophet just like me. And we're in the land now that was promised to Abraham. And here's the prophet. Are we going to behave differently? Or are we the children of our fathers? This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke to him in, in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey. Yes, we're the special people. We're the people of God. We're the children of Israel. We're the covenant people. We're God's chosen people. They wouldn't obey Moses. They tried to kill Joseph. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. So even after they've been delivered, our fathers wanted to go back into Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto, unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Wow. Then God turned and gave our fathers up to worship the host of heaven, just like all the other Gentile nations. These were the covenant people. These were the people that God was working with, and they turned, and they wanted to be like the Gentiles and worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O you house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yes, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch. Wow. The children of Israel worshipped Moloch. And the star of your god, Remphan, figures which you made to worship them, 
and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion as he had seen, which also our fathers that came after. So, so they had the tabernacle, yet they're worshiping Moloch and, and, and the star of Remphan. So we had the tabernacle, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Joshua into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as says the prophet, Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Scripture says, be ready always to give an answer with meekness and fear. We fear God. We don't fear them. But we speak with meekness. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Does that sound like meekness? It actually is. Because this is the climax of his argument. This is not Stephen being easily provoked. It's not like they just said something and he lost his temper. He has crafted, the high priest asks, are these things so? He says, men, brethren, fathers, listen to me. And he takes them back to Abraham. And he walks them through the journey of the children of Israel from Abraham to Solomon. And he shows that you have a history of always resisting the Holy Spirit. It's very, you know who God was dealing with. So let's go through who God was dealing with. And let's look at how our fathers responded to who God was dealing with. And so here we are now. I'm in front of you. You see, what what did the scripture say they saw in him at the beginning? An angel, yes. So they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Whatever arguments they brought to him, they couldn't resist his his wisdom. And in the very land that was promised to Abraham, these children of Israel were resisting the Holy Spirit. So he takes them through a journey to show them unequivocally. Did I say that right? Yes, we got it out. Okay. So he shows them without any question that this is in our DNA. God has been working with us from Abraham, and we have been resisting the Holy Spirit ever since. And so here's your opportunity. I'm, t- I'm telling you about the prophet that Moses prophesied about that would be just like him. Are you going to behave just like our fathers did to Moses in the face of Christ? Yes, you are, because this is in your history. And, and, you know, so brethren, when it says that we must be ready to give an answer with meekness, it doesn't mean that, you know, ah, oh, shucks. Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus Christ and I, I hope it doesn't offend you. You stiff necked! But that's with design. I know where I'm leading you. And when I get to the climax, I'm not apologizing. I'm going to give it full force. But that's still meekness. Because it's by design and inspiration of the Spirit, not by provocation. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You know, the, the, the threat is, are these things so? Turn up the furnace seven times. Are these things so? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets 
Have not your fathers persecuted? Answer that. And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. So Stephen has a very rich, this is not a hobby. He knows what he's talking about. And he sees this long line of history. He gives them the condensed version. But in this long line of history, it's clear. They have killed every prophet. Everybody who brought the truth to them, they killed. Stephen, knowing this, is not afraid of their terror. He's not afraid. He gives them the truth undiluted. To tell them now, you have been the betrayers and murderers of the just one. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels. So you're the people of God. You've received the law by the dispositions of angels, but you have not kept it. In fact, it's so much so that you haven't kept it, that you've put to death, you've murdered the very prophets of God. That's how much you've not kept the law of God. You've worshipped Molech. Verse 54. So when they heard these things, they were really happy that Stephen brought it to their attention because they might have missed it. This is human nature, brethren. The truth stings, especially when it's delivered undiluted and publicly, especially when egos are involved. We thought we were the high mucky mucks. Everybody's looking up to us. I'm the high priest. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So you can imagine the, the satanic rage that they're in. They're, they're beside themselves with insanity. This is what we can expect from human beings without the Holy Spirit in, under the influence of the devil. They gnashed on him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, here's the meekness, brethren, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, we don't see the flesh and blood. We understand. I understand why you're so angry. But I'm looking beyond you, and I'm not afraid of your terror. We're not afraid of their terror. We see God and Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And, and I've heard in the past people, uh, brethren, highlight the fact that Jesus Christ is standing. That he is so excited about what's happening on earth that he's standing up to observe what's happening. And he has Christ's attention. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. So they just, they can't receive this. And they ran upon him with one accord. Everyone agrees. They're all in one accord. They're all under the prince of the power of the air. They all agree. They ran upon him. Not, not one said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> he has a point. They all ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. You can imagine the hatred. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This, this has to take vision, brethren. We, we have to, Stephen had to understand what happens after death. Just as Abraham had to understand when he was going to sacrifice Isaac. That you, you have to see beyond this life. And Stephen clearly, clearly saw beyond. And as they're stoning him to death, shouting all kinds of hateful things at him, he calls upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, even this is the same Stephen that just told them, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Same person, same people that he's speaking about. And he says, lay not this sin to their charge. 
So he understands these are the people of God. These are God's covenant people. Like Paul who said, I I wish I could lose my salvation so that I could save God's people. Stephen has this heart for God's people. and And so should we. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So this is a vision that he held right up to his last breath. Understood God's plan. Understood God's people. Understood the history of God's people. Was able to contextualize their hatred. Hey, it's in your DNA. And understood who Jesus Christ is. Look at Matthew 10. And we'll conclude here. Matthew 10. Beginning in verse 24, Jesus Christ says this. A disciple, that's us, that's Stephen. A disciple is not greater than his teacher. We learn from the teacher. If we're greater than the teacher, we can teach the teacher. No, we're the student. We're not greater than the teacher. Nor a slave greater than his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher. That is what we want. We are Christians. We want to become like Christ. And the slave like his master. Okay, so what does it mean to become like Christ? If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they defame the members of his household? So so this is what we have to look forward to. If we are members of the household of Christ, expect to be humiliated. That's what this means. Don't think that everybody's going to be patting us on the back saying, hey, good on you. You're a Christian. That's wonderful. I think Christians are, you know, wonderful. The world would not be such a wonderful place without Christians. No. You're a Christian. We're going to humiliate you. We're going to make, we're going to do a thorough job of humiliating you. Why? Because we hate Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid of them. We keep hearing this theme, brethren. Do not be afraid. For nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing is secret that will not be made known. So this hatred that they have toward us, that they have toward Christ, they have toward us as a result, there's something going on in secret. There are discussions in secret. There are plans in secret. And God is saying it's going to be revealed. It's going to be revealed. This incredible hatred towards Christians today, this growing hatred, this extermination, as we speak, people who name the name of Christ are being tortured. They're being slaughtered. We're in Canada. We're safe right now. But let us not think that somehow us naming Christ is different than them naming Christ. It's the same devil with the same hatred for Christ. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. We're the opposite. You know, you you want blasphemy laws that no one can say anything negative about Muhammad, let's say. Why? If you love this man so much, let his life be exposed. Let's see it all. We want Christ's life to be exposed. Let's put Christ out there. Look at every moment of his life. Everything that's documented about Christ, let's put it out there. And then everything that's documented about Muhammad, let's put that out there too. Why would you make the Bible illegal if you say the Koran is an extension of the Bible, but the Bible's corrupt? Why not just tell people, here are the parts in the Bible that are corrupt, and then we can examine what you think is corrupt. But to make the Bible illegal and to say, if you say anything about Muhammad, even if it's true, if it's negative, we will kill you and you can never repent. You can say something against Allah and repent. But if you ever say anything against Muhammad, you can never repent. You must be put to death. It sounds to me like and maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like there's a lot of things about Muhammad that we don't want to put in the light. So we're going to pass blasphemy laws to prevent that from coming into the light. I want everybody to know everything about Jesus Christ. 
Let's put it out there. And then let's compare. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Don't hide it. Don't be afraid and don't hide it. Put it out there. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. We're entering into a time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles must come to the full. That image that Nebuchadnezzar saw of these four kingdoms and the the last kingdom being two versions, one iron and one iron and clay. It has to come to the full before the rock comes to strike it. That image that Nebuchadnezzar saw is not glorious. It's hideous. It's awful. To Nebuchadnezzar, he thinks it's great. That's how God communicates to a man of the world. When God communicates to Daniel, these are ferocious beasts. And they are merciless. We can't be afraid. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up to that beast. They weren't afraid. We have to stand up to this beast. Proclaim it from the housetops. We want Jesus Christ's life to be known. Everything he said, everything he did, we want it to be known. People don't know Christ. We want them to know Christ. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. You know, there's a passage that says, you know, what, what, you know, if you're going to suffer for righteousness sake, I believe it's in Peter, he says, you know, who can harm you if you are righteous? Well, the answer is Nebuchadnezzar, the high priest, the guy in front of me with a sword. They can all harm us. But the question is, who can harm us permanently? No one. If we're faithful to Christ, no one. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. And I see the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's how we have, that's, that's the vision that we need. If you're just going to kill this body, get on with it. Let's go. Let's roll. I'll see you in a few minutes. I'll be back. I'll be back. Why? Because I saw the thrones of those who were beheaded for the witness of Christ. And judgment was given to them. Judgment was given to the saints. So we have this view, brethren, that we go from Pentecost to trumpets. So Pentecost receiving the Holy Spirit, trumpets Jesus Christ returning, bringing the world at one and starting the kingdom. We have this view that it's sort of skipping through the park and it's going to be so happy and lots of nice potlucks and let's have flowers and music and a bit of dancing and then the kingdom comes. No. We've got to get through these ferocious beasts. And it's the time of the Gentiles coming to the full. We must be without fault so that they're without excuse. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, Fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in Hades. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them, you know, there's a German lady in Brussels. There's a church there, a cathedral, uh, devoted to Martin Luther and the Reformation. And there was a concert in this cathedral. And the city officials invited an imam to sing the call to prayer inside the church of Martin Luther in Germany. This Christian woman took exception to that. And while he was doing the azan, the call to prayer, she hung out a flag saying, Jesus is Lord. And she started to, while he was singing the call to prayer, she started to shout, Jesus is Lord, you're, you're singing lies. Um, and she started to quote Martin Luther. She was put out of the church. <laughs> the cathedral that Mar- uh, devoted to Martin Luther. She's a Christian in a church, ejected because she was interrupting the imam doing the call to prayer in the church. And they asked her, are you afraid? She said, I'm not afraid. Well, I- I'm embarrassed. Because I don't know if I would have that kind of courage. But I'm inspired by it. I'm inspired by it. Everyone else is sitting there 
Actually, she was saying, I break this curse while he's singing to Allah. She says, I break this curse. I'm like, wow. Little girl, little, not in the young middle-aged lady, but young small lady. God, give me some of that courage. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Even all the hairs on your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. You are more value than many sparrows. So this is not a hobby, brethren. We have value. And God can use us. And therefore we, we need not be afraid. When our time of usefulness is past, Stephen's was past, then his life came to a conclusion. But as long as God has purpose for us, we're here. We can face anybody. And we have to stir up this courage within us. Because, brethren, this is the time of the Gentiles. It's closing in on us. Praise God that we live in Canada. Praise God that we're here in in, in the greater Toronto area. But it's closing in on us. As As the scripture says, all the prophecies must be fulfilled. Whoever then acknowledges me before the angry people. It's not just people. It's not just, hey, there's a guy on the street. Hey, I I believe in Jesus Christ. They're fierce. They're part of the beast. Whoever therefore acknowledges me before people, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, is it so, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you will not worship our gods? Oh, Stephen, are these things so? When we're asked the question, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. But whoever denies me before people, I will deny him also before my Father in heaven. Some are going to arise to everlasting glory, some to everlasting contempt. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. Don't, don't, he's disabusing us of this notion. Oh, Christ came. It's going to be nice, lots of peace. No, he came and his presence stirs up the beast. If they've called him Beelzebub and he's the master of the house, what are they going to call us? Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword or to bring out a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So we are not the ones with the sword. We are not the ones attacking. But because we represent Christ, the hatred of Satan comes at us, even from our own family. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So we may get to a point where we have to make a choice. And he's saying, if you love mother or father, father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So again, as society changes, as our freedoms are being taken away, as it's becoming more and more difficult to be Christian, we have to take these scriptures seriously. We have to take up our cross. What does that mean? It means they crucified Christ. Please let that sink in. They crucified our Lord. We want to be like our Lord. This is not a joke. This is not a hobby. If they hated him and they crucified him, we need to know, will we acknowledge him or deny him before men? Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever, like Stephen, loses his life because of me will find it. And I say amen. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.